Hey folks, Ed Williams here. As you know, I'm absolutely passionate about the business of aesthetic medicine and mentoring those who are serious to get to the next level. I have a website, as you know, and it's uh, I wrote a book called The White Coat Entrepreneur. My website, check it out, is dredwinwilliams.com. And I basically cover all things business uh, and trying to help those get to the next level who are uh, now we think of medical practices being very very different than other businesses but they're not and today the guest i'm going to have in today is uh, a friend of mine dear friend of mine uh, his name is buddy foy now buddy foy is a serial entrepreneur he's a real character He's, he's a tv reality star in the food network and he's a restaurateur who has been knocked down more times than none is is fearless and that's why he's a serial serial entrepreneur and i i think we can all learn lessons from people like buddy he's contributed to over 20 fox news appearances during the COVID shutdown um and he's fighting he's he's a a, a tireless fighter for the rights of business owners he's been a two-time entrepreneur of the year finalist and inc 500 and inc 5000 ceo as well as successfully raising over 30 million in private equity um he is a husband and a business partner to his wife, Jen, uh, in their restaurant business, and he has uh, five, two, two daughters, uh, Summer and Ava. He enjoys fishing in Florida, and he's going to tell, tell his story about how he succeeded as an entrepreneur and the things he overcame. So I hope you enjoy this podcast, and hope you have a great day. Okay, folks, I got, I got Buddy Foy uh, Jr. here uh, on the, uh, on the audio to talk to us a little bit about his path, his path as an entrepreneur, what he's done, uh, trials, tribulations, failures, those kind of things. Where did, where did you study? Where'd you start out, buddy? Well, I started out, my first business was a boat care business when I was 13 years old, Adirondack boat care up in Lake George. And then for lead generation, I eventually became a doc boy at the Algonquin restaurant in order to put flyers in people's boats and give them my business cards. Yeah. Where'd you, so I've had, I've had that bug for a long time, Doc. The bug. There's no cure for that. No, it's not. Is there? I mean, you're the doc. Tell me. You got anything for that? No. My, my wife would sure appreciate it if you could. <laughs> <laughs> right? Between that and the ADD. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So how long did you do that? So I did the I did the bull care business for a couple of years. A good friend of mine, I, not to go sad, but my best friend I started with died in a car accident. So we kind of – You told me about was, that. Yeah, on it was uh, pretty on Route Nine. I always tell the parents that are that are new to the Lake George area up where you know you and I met. Yeah, up there on Route Nine, I got to be careful. We all lost two good, two very good friends of mine on that road. Anyhow, we did it for a couple of years and kind of stayed out. And then once once we went back to college, faded out of it. He he got you know, and then I lost him, and that was the end of that. But I had I had businesses all through college. But my first real yeah, you know, what's real, your first real, real gig? My first real gig where I raised private equity money over $30 million in private equity and really took a chance is uh, a company called eFashion Solutions. That uh, was an internet business that, that my wife and I started back in 1998. Uh, yeah. So we, it was before Facebook ever existed, pre-Google. And would you, you know, what was, what was like your business model? Our business model was the fashion industry. It was taking brands that traditionally sold to retailers and sell directly in a vertical to the consumer via their website, via, you know, CalvinKlein.com, via TommyHilfinger.com. And so we had to convince the industry that the future was e-commerce. And it was right around Amazon started uh, to become known. Amazon had started, and they started getting a ton of press. 
In fact, all the press that Amazon got was what broke me to finally be an entrepreneur. I couldn't take it anymore. Like, so I met my wife at Calvin Klein. Yeah. And I, I came from the, a corporate background and executive training program at Macy's. Turned corporate guy turned very young at 26 years old. Turned uh, or 27. Turned entrepreneur. So that's where you met Jen. I met Jenna Calvin Klein. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how did you? What What was it you said you made you get out of the industry, and then and then how did you get get back into restaurant? Because I know you grew up in a family restaurant. Yeah, I grew up in a restaurant business. My father forbade me from being in it. He did everything he could to block me. I was. I wanted to go to culinary school. I've always. I grew up in this business business since I was ten years old. I mean, I was cutting chicken wings in the kitchen with my brother Keith in the three bay sink down in Quaker Road at EP Foy's when I was ten. Before yeah. you bought some pre bagged chicken wings. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I fell in love with culinary. My father dragged me in the kitchen and, and said to his chefs, you know, this is pre celebrity chefs and pre reality shows that showcase and glamorize the industry. Uh, you know, he said, hey, you know, hey, chef, tell, you know, I think his name was uh, Jeff. Chef Jeff, can you tell my, my son how much money you make an hour? And it was like $4 an hour by the time it was all said and done. I go, oh, the hell with that. I'm not, I'm not getting into this business. <laughs> that, was, yeah. that was the end of that for the time being. So, so the the business you had in, in that you met Jen in, how, how did you get out of that? Well, the business I met Jen in, uh, it was the business I started with Jen was, was in the city where we lived in New Jersey at the time. And we would go in and out signing the fashion clients. Uh, and we, we were very early, right? So we predicted the internet. In fact, I have an article in a local paper in Glens Falls back, I think, in 1995 that the future of retail is going to be all online and that there'll be commercials of Macy's blowing up in the background. That was a post-op article. And, of course, everyone thought I was crazy. Yeah, I mean, there was a period of time people said that there's no way it's going to – no way businesses are going to survive without bricks and mortar of some sort. I mean, period of time. Remember that? It was literally a decade. I remember. I remember. It was a decade. I remember being out in London, talking to the president of Burberry, and working my way into that appointment. At this point, we had raised money. We had raised a thirty million in private equity. We're, we're a fifty million dollar plus company at the time. We were servicing eBay and Amazon. We were, we were, we were a pretty, uh, pretty big deal in the industry. And I remember going. I remember being in front. Cause I, so in order to get in front of Burberry, obviously I had to have some credentials, right? Yeah. So sitting in front of Burberry with the credentials we had, which is about 101 brands we had at the time that were powering, and I'll get into what we did for them in a minute. But I remember sitting in front of Burberry and saying, "You've got to get online. You have to go online. The future consumers are not going to be walking into stores like they are today." And they laughed at me. And I remember a decade later. Yeah, they, they, they laughed at Elon Musk when he said he was going to make rockets too. Yeah, right. I remember. In fact, I remember <laughs> Elon Musk started PayPal. Uh, pay, a lot of people realize he started PayPal. That's oh yeah, ninety eight, ninety nine, somewhere around there, right? People thought yeah. he, people thought he was out of his mind. No one's gonna, no one's going to put their secure credit card information in, right out there on the internet. Oh yeah, no one's going to order clothes online or anything online without touching it. You know, so Burberry said all that on my mind, and I remember the, I remember them announcing earning calls a decade later, and announcing like thirty or forty stores shutting down, and that was a moment for me going, "Ha ha! I told you, <laughs> that's not cool." But that's how I felt. Not gonna lie. So when did you get when did you get out of that business? So I got out of that business about fifteen years ago. Um, we started ninety seven, and we got out of it around two thousand and twelve. Um, did would, maybe that fifteen ten years ago. How the how the recession affect you? Two thousand eight. Oh my God, devastating! Right? It was, it was so. My business model, Doc. My business model was: we would walk into brands. And we said, "Listen, we're going to fund the building of your website." There's a thing called your website. 
right? Uh, your website.com, your brand.com, and we're going to power it with our technology. This is pre-Amazon Cloud. This is pre-template square websites and all these turnkey big commerce and, and WordPress. This is when you had to build them from scratch, have your own data servers in your um, – in your, you know, in your organ, you had your, have your own hosting farm. So we had, you know, it, it was we raised significant money to build this. We had like ten million into our into our server farm just to host a website. You can do for forty nine ninety nine today. That's forty nine dollars and ninety nine cents. Yeah, right. We spent millions of dollars to build that. So uh, we we were in very very early, grew it really quickly, and then the, we we raised private equity money. And then re, when the recession hit, part of my responsibility for the clients were or part of my services. We would buy advertising from AOL, Google, Juno, Earthlink, sites people probably have never even heard of that are listening. And this is, you know, these were the main players back in the day. And it was, it was actually, and then eventually Google. And I would buy, I would go in and buy three or four million worth of ads up front. And I would at a discount. And I would resell those ads to my clients as part of our services. And then we would transact on our e-commerce platform to sale. We would take the pictures. We would ship the products out of our we had a 250,000 square foot facility that we would we would uh, what was it? what the heck was it? Not 250,000. My bad. It was like it was 25. It was 25,000 plus uh, um, of a facility. It was pretty big. It was, it was a big facility, and we um, we would ship the product on our behalf. But part of our money was social media buying. Before, you know, just when it started when it started happening. And buying the Google ads up front. So when a recession hit, we had all this inventory of ads that I had purchased. And our clients, big brands that we all wear, couldn't ship me product for their own websites. Because of uh, the factors, the financing arm of the fashion industry, there was one big factoring company that financed most of, most of these brands. And the purchasing, they would sell their paper to the, uh, to the banks they couldn't get factoring, which means they couldn't produce goods anywhere. So it's all about a supply chain issue. They're, you know, We weren't getting anything into our warehouse to ship to consumers, yet we had millions of dollars in ads and traffic being sent to these websites. And that, that, you know, that was a devastating blow to our business during a recession. So how did you recover from that, and how did you decide to get out of it a couple of years? So, the reco- so we recovered from that with uh, – I, I happened – the founder of Nobody Beats the Wiz – was was one of my clients. He had a brand uh, at the time called Apple Bottoms, uh, and I think uh, Beyonce. I think he was involved in Beyonce's product. Anyhow, he and I became good friends, and he went through some situations that uh, nobody beats the whiz. And he was kind of a mentor to me. And I remember a recession hit. And I called him. I had a conversation with him, and he said, "They called him. My real name is Ed. Yeah. Right, Ed Forey." And he said to me, Ed, how many people are on your list to fire or to lay off, to yeah. put it in better terms? And at the time, we had 280 employees. And I said, there's 30. I said, okay, are you calling me for advice? I said, yes, sir. You went through this before, nobody beats the whiz. What do I do? Double it. I said, what? He goes, listen, if you want to live this and you want to survive this, you have to take drastic action fast or it's all over. Now, we had $30 million in, in private equity raised. And I don't want to, you know. And now I've got, you know, I got to, I got to fire, or lay off sixty employees. And so I, how I survived it was by having the right advisors to help me through it that have been through it before, that have been through failure, and have been through recessions. And the biggest one being that gentleman I'm speaking of. And I, I called the meeting and I 
let go of 60 people that day. And it wasn't easy. It was hard as no, hell. It's, no, it's, it's, it's painful, really painful. You know, then you got to figure out who you're going to pay and who you're not going to pay as right. far as vendors. So going in and meeting vendors one day, one at a time, saying, look, it, I, I can't make my payable next month. Yeah. And now they can't make theirs either, by the way. Yeah. Right. It's a domino effect in the industry. Why couldn't I make my payments? Well, because I had, you know, I, I had lined up a bunch of advertising dollars and spent money on ads ahead of time. And my brands weren't shipping me. I owed those same brands money for prior months. Um, I, would, I was a collector, by the way. I collected all their funds online mm-hmm. with, their, with their e-commerce sites. So I could, I owe a vendor half a million dollars. So you go and go look at, I spent $300,000 on ads. I owe you 500. How about I think of two? Or, you know, we, we punt the yeah. other three to the future until you can ship me because I can't pay you because you're not shipping me. Yeah. I, I, I bought the ads and I committed to the ads up front for you. So really how we survived it was with a great partnership with my wife. Uh, I had the right – at the time, I had the right investors. I overreacted and laid off more people than I probably needed to. And I had to go in and, and, and have tough conversations with people we owed money to. What was the biggest? Easy. What was the biggest lesson you learned? I mean, I, listen, I, I you know I've been through nine eleven, ninety five recession, two thousand, you know the bubble at two thousand, two thousand eight, and I I don't forget those times. What what was the biggest lesson you learned? The biggest lesson that I learned is through that particular situation is I didn't raise enough money. I raised thirty million. I should have raised sixty, right? So I said I had to lay off six, you know, thirty employees, and he said lay off sixty employees. I should I should have taken the same advice where people have said, Hey, how much money are you gonna raise? I'll raise thirty million. Raise sixty, double it. Like everything's double it. Mm-hmm. Double the time you think it's gonna take, double the money you think you're gonna need, and when you're in bad times, double the amount of people you think you need to lay off. And I, I had I doubled the fundraising round, eventually we had an exit. It wasn't as big as it could have been. It was a little earlier than I thought, so I was exhausted. Had I people who, who were my competitors at the time that were smaller than me raised hundreds of millions of dollars. And they went through the same turmoil that I did. The difference is they had another hundred million to get through it. And they are today are billionaires. Legit. I'm not joking. They're my competitors that were smaller than me of the same size that raised a lot more money than I did today are billionaires because they got through the other side of that without exhaustion. When you lay off 60 people out of 200, now my wife and I are working 90 hours a week and as well as my management team. And we're doing a job of two or two and a half people. You know, that took, a, that took its toll on us. And by yeah. the time the recession was over, we were exhausted and said, it's time to exit. Let's get out. So that's when you so we got out too early. Yeah. We, got, we, got, we got out way too early. We did good, but we didn't do great. Could have done better. And that was around, what, 2010, 11? Yeah, exactly. And that's when you that's when you opened the chateau up in uh, in Bold Landing, right? 2012? Or yeah, I pretty, much did it for, I, I pretty much did it. We started buying property all over Bolton when we were working, and and, and we were doing well. And and yeah, I pretty much went right from the business to uh, to the restaurant. Just wanted to work and have my kids work. Now, didn't that? I mean, didn't that scare you? No, the restaurant business didn't scare you. I mean, no. it's a brutal business. One thing, I, it is a brutal business. You know, I think about it all. I do think about. I'm, I'm 50, and I started a production company for Foy Rush. And I've got a third restaurant I'm opening in Florida. One, you know, we opened our first restaurant in Florida, which is our second location overall as a brand, in December 19 in a, in, in a pandemic. We're opening up another restaurant in the middle of a supply chain crisis. It's out 90 days when we thought we we're going to do it. And I've got about three or four technologies that I've invested and built 
uh, that are sitting kind of on the shelf that we're going to get one off. I don't fear doctors. I don't, and I'm not saying this is the strength. When it comes to starting businesses, I have zero fear. Zero. Yeah. I don't know if it's a good thing or not. Well, it, you know, when when someone's when someone's successful, you know, it's very hard for people or easy for people to look at them and say, um, you know. I, unfortunately, people become jealous. It's the way it is. But the reality is, um, no one understands the risk, do they? No, I left a job at Calvin Klein. I was twenty-seven years old, making a quarter of a million dollars a year. Think about that for a minute. Yeah, twenty-seven. Having and I like to share real numbers. By the way, Doc, I don't share numbers to boast. I share numbers for listeners to understand how small or big that is, right? So if someone's yeah. having. Uh, someone's at a job making three three million a year, and they want to leave to start their own business. I don't want to influence that. I was only making a quarter of a million. Mm-hmm. But if someone, so to, to someone making three million as an executive somewhere, going out of this idea, should I leave? I was, but you know that they don't want to look at me to take my advice, right? But someone who's making one hundred and twenty grand or sixty grand, you can say, oh crap, he was making more than I did. So I share numbers to be relevant to somebody that's listening. That can utilize what I have and give 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 value to the conversation. So I was making really good money at 27 years old. Yeah, I mean, and I wasn't, you know, I was not a student. I was not a great scholar. I was, I'm dyslexic. Uh, I took <laughs> five years of graduation school. I went to Adirondack Community College, which is now Adirondack SUNY. Yeah, I went to Iona College in New Rochelle. And the only reason why I got in is because my brother, my little brother. Went, you know, went to four year institution right out. He's only, we're Irish twins. Mm-hmm. He went right away, so he had a year ahead of me in a four year institution. And he was a, he graduated at Madame Kalati, so he was an A student the day he showed up. Yeah. And I went in and I said, look, here, he, he's my brother. He's getting A's. I, I'm going to pay you forty thousand dollars. If I fail out, you get to keep my money. And, and the dean said, I've never had somebody come in here to sell me to accept them to school after I denied them. That's hilarious. So I only got in because I sold the shit out of the dean. Yeah. Right. So I'm not a I'm not a scholar. Uh, I'm dyslexic, but I'm a visionary, and I pride myself on it. I, I, don't, I don't. I don't. I don't. You know, I'm pretty confident on the visions that I have. So I believe they're a blessing, and I've I've never. You know, so I I, I love being an entrepreneur and, and and leaving that job, making that money at 27. My father was you know someone I always call. You know, I always called my father and, and asked him for advice. Man, he did not want me leaving that job because he didn't want me entering the world of an entrepreneur because he had been one his whole life. Yeah, but and it's not an easy life. No, it's not. But I, you know, it's, I think we talk about it being a disease to some degree because um, you and I both know you don't ever really stop it, thinking about it, right? I mean, you can be, you know, you may not, maybe may not be punching a clock, but you're at a party, you're on your way home in the car, you're, you're thinking, right? All the time. Always, yeah, always time. thinking about, you know, <laughs> we'll be in the car. And my wife will say to me. I'm quiet for a few minutes. She's like, okay, what are we working on right now? So, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's somewhat of a disease. So you started and then you, you had some adversity to, to certainly to deal uh, with the, with the uh, uh, I remember starting, I remember I, I was government funded. My, people don't realize there was a, there was a crash in 98 or 99 of the internet, the first dot-com bust. Yeah, I remember that. Right. So that I was in that bus. I, I survived two busts and I had to move employees into my apartment. I was just had been married. I was engaged. I moved employees into my apartment, my wife, that were collecting unemployment. So I was government funded. They just didn't know it. Yeah. The government, that is. They gave me a grant in the form of unemployment of all my employees. And I had three or four of them living with me. And I remember crawling down the corner of a wall, crying my eyes out. 
literally crying my eyes out going what why am i putting everyone through this why are people still here and cause unemployment working 90 hours a week what do why didn't people in my wife like we're gonna we just got married i don't remember if we were just married or engaged you know we were married because she I, we would not live together until we were married because her father's off the boat italian but um anyway i remember crawling down the corner of that wall bawling going what the hell am i doing to everybody yeah so you also you also overcame a lot of challenges when you put in the chateau because it, the neighbors weren't really thrilled with uh, you know a restaurant going in. <laughs> oh, Doc, the chateau was a hard. So I started an internet business right around when Amazon started. This is CD Now AOL dial up. CD Now you you ordered CDs online. Blockbuster was still a big hit. They weren't selling online. Netflix wasn't heard of yet. Uh, Earthlink. It was order by Tal for car searching. There was an eBay. eBay was the big one. It was a Pez dispenser collected yeah. site. So I started then and pre-Facebook, pre-Google, Yahoo was the search engine eventually. And you know, so we were, we were really early on. And boy, I tell you, God, just to, just to think about it gives me a headache. <laughs> so as hard as that was, as hard as it was to convince the world there's a future here of selling online and building technology that didn't exist and reading books on how to program and hiring somebody that's good at taking part of, taking apart a VCR to build your data center, right? Because we're all learning as we're going. We, the restaurant in Bolton Landing, the Chateau, was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah, I, I, I got to tell you, I, I look at, it's such a brutal business. You, you, you're trying to plan for the future. You have potential for things going bad. You're trying to staff up. Um, you know, things are up and down. I don't, you know, and then on top of that, you had the pandemic to deal with. Yeah, you which, know. Which blew, I watched that, by the way, I watched that video that Bob Marini uh, basically, you know. Um, that he's sponsoring? That he sponsored yeah. the other yeah, yeah. day. And I remember, I remember literally going in one day and, and, and it was a different place. And then I saw the, you know, the, the, the loaders today, whenever it was, you know, bringing in the gravel and bringing, when you were dealing with the, like everyone was shut down and you were just, we're opening. Yeah. You know, I was opening no matter what until my attorney called me and said, if you open, I'm going to take your record license away. And I'm like, well, then what if I take it away? What if I have employee, what if I have a customer sign a release that they know I'm not approved by the health department. They know that I'm serving alcohol without a liquor license. Like, if it, what if we get consent? Can we take it to the Supreme Court? Like, I was at that level, right? I was, a, I was way, you know, I, 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 and I, you're a medical professional. I don't want to offend your audience. I was severely against the shutdown, beyond comprehension. Well, I, I was dealing with the same thing. I mean, they, they, the governor came on and said in mid-April that we were closed down at that point. Uh, you can open mid mid May, and May fifteenth was mid May to me. That was a Friday, and as of Wednesday before, he was saying no go. I already had surgeries scheduled, anesthesia. I had, oh, it's right. You guys were closed too. And right, I said, yeah. I said, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. Re- I am not going to not open. And my COO said to me, you got to understand. I said, listen, I've been running this facility for twenty three years. We've dealt with HIV. We've dealt. We've never had and. For them to – that's overreaching. And what happened, the, the government actually – well, the, the governor at the time said that the surgery centers attached to hospitals could open. And then a bunch of us, freestanding, got together and threatened a class action lawsuit Thursday, and he lifted 
lifted it and we we opened on Friday. But I was going to open come hell or high water because I mean you got all these people on payroll, you got all this stuff you know booked, and so but you guys, you guys couldn't even plan. Right? No, I was open. I was open. I said, I said to my wife, I said, we're open. And my father's a junior, you know. I remind my dad a lot when he was, you know, he, I am a junior. And my dad has more wisdom than I have. So he was a little bit calmer than I was. As a junior, you can't open. To me, I, I was like, well, I'm going to open and make a statement. If I have to go to Supreme Court, I will. So I was investing to open no matter what. I just got lucky that I could. Otherwise, I mean, and I you guys, you know, and, and, and all kidding. What did what, you say? You had 40 some odd thousand touch points and not one person traced back to the restaurant. So clearly, you know, you, when, when you could open and you had, everyone was wearing, you, know, you had a, you, I mean, you had a pretty much a killer season. But, but you we busted did. We, your, had a killer, you, we, we yeah. spent a lot of money. We spent six figures to get ready for it. So yeah. in this business is a tight margin as it is. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, 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 we broke even, thank God. We were able to keep our, our employees paid. I paid my chef the entire, I'm very proud. I paid my chef the entire winter. He never had to not get a paycheck. Um, so yeah, as hard as COVID was, it was harder to do, to get open yeah. as a restaurant. Yeah. So sorry, doc, I got some plumbing running behind my pipes apparently in my walls. Sorry about that. What's it? Oh, no, I didn't hear anything. So we're good. So talk to me about Florida. You, you, you right in the middle of, of this whole thing. Um, you open another restaurant in Florida. That's pretty ballsy. Yeah, you know, there's a part of the story though. It's got a bit of a background. Uh, one thing I didn't share with you is I was I was at a I because I couldn't get into schools, colleges because of my grades. I um I was and the reason why is two things. One, I was fighting and training for the Olympic team for Taekwondo, and I was I always had my own businesses, and I just was too preoccupied for the classroom. Uh, anyhow, I was I was in the Marines down in Glen, down in Queensbury signing up to join the Marines. My parents had a restaurant around the corner. That I, that's where I learned the business. And my mother dragged me out. I had a mullet. She grabbed me by the back of my mullet and dragged me out of the Marines. And so I have this guilt that I never served. And that's, that's, that's really the, the motivation behind, I guess, a lack of fear and a motivation to constantly be in business. I just feel like it's my duty as, as a free citizen that people have given lives to to start to inflate people. Like just, there's no excuses. There's no, you know, there's nothing about it. People are dying. Well, it's interesting you say, more. it's interesting you say that because when this whole thing with the pullout and the, we had to lost eight, eight Americans, I was so uh, moved and impressed with how quickly you put together a little memorial in your restaurant to the fallen lives. That was like the next day. Yeah, I, I gotta give credit. I gotta give credit to one of our employees. Everyone knows him from from Summer Rush, Freddie, and everyone yeah. else from up there. Freddie and I have a, have the same spirit, and I, I had thought of it, and I was trying to figure out how to pull it off. And we were talking about it at the Chateau up north, and then Freddie had snapped me a picture of Florida, and my and, and I started crying. Right, and I was just mm-hmm. so proud of Fred. I was so proud of my of Freddie. And then I said, you know, and I backed off of that doc. I said, you know what? I got people. You know, I got people that are just as patriotic as I am. And I showed the picture to Mark and my people up 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 in Lake George, and they did that memorial in Lake George. Freddie did the one in Florida, so I have to give credit to my people yeah. for that. Yeah, that I had incredible. very limited involvement in that. Praise God. Yeah, well, that was that was incredible. So, talk to me about your, you know, I know, I mean, Summer Rush has been has been great. The pandemic, you know, put a little bit of a, a damper on that whole thing, right? Because no one wants to see, uh, you know see uh you know video with 
people wearing masks. So that, but I know you, you've got a new project you're working on. Yeah. So we, we had summer rush and it was a big question whether food network would film again because of the pandemic, by the way, summer rush never launched. Like it never went live. I almost didn't go live yeah. because of the pandemic. So there's a few things we had to clarify with some interviews of what we call OTS that you'll see us talking that they had, they had, you know, we had like 10 different OTS over four episodes. I think there's like 150 OTS. They needed like 10 more to fill the gap of some, of some things they couldn't shoot because of weather or technician problems or a camera guy went down. Like things happen like any business when you're filming or, you know, in uncontrolled environments, maybe a fire truck showed up and or a construction crew and they couldn't film that day. So there's a few things that the show needed an explanation and how they, how they fill those voids is what they call OTS on a fly interviews, which is when you see us talking to the camera about the situation. So they had about 10 of those they had to refilm and they were, they were sending a crew to Lake George and they couldn't because it got shut down. Cuomo shut the state down. Yeah. So it wasn't happening. Summer rush was not happening. And I, I was very, you know, I, and, and, and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll just be blunt. I was, it wasn't going to fail as far as I'm concerned. I, I, I had to deliver for the community that really worked hard and helped us. We put I, a lot of people out. Yeah, right? It was great. We yeah. People's docks and people's boats and people's, you know, businesses. And I really wanted to launch for the town. And I couldn't tell my family wasn't launching. So I just got really, I, we came up with some really creative things, hired a production crew in Florida that could travel and, we figured it out, and we and it, and it got launched by the grace of God. We got very, very lucky, blessed that it even launched. Yeah. What What are you working on now? What's you know what's what's the you know your your three year plan? So I mean, the Chateau is pretty at this point is Jen's project. It's her brand, and we're looking to open up a minimum of one restaurant a year in Florida. I'd like to have ten under my belt before I'm sixty. Uh, and so that's definitely the, 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 the horse that's going to pull everything else as far as me, but that's Jen, you know, I support Jen in that and I'm behind her on that. I've got, I've got a technology uh, that I've been working on for the last three years, having no idea COVID would come and we're launching a, uh, we're launching a product and I have a partner in it that built the technology used to work for me called play prep and it's an order ahead dine in. Right. You order ahead and you dine in a restaurant, pay for it ahead of time, and it, it pretty much doubles the amount of business restaurants can do because they know it, what why business is that? looks like. I'm sorry. Why you know why would it double? What you know why can it double? Well, the- so if you have a reservation at five and you you place your order by three on an app, the restaurant can you know they can now get ready, slice, dice, and prepare and prep. Got it. With the order for the night, right? So most of the restaurant business is done. From seven to seven thirty, seven to eight thirty is when ninety percent of the volume is done, and the kitchen is just you know balls to the slammed. wall for lack of a better word, right? They're slammed, so the kitchens are slammed, and it, 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 there's just you don't know where you're gonna. One day you could run on steaks, the next day you're running on chicken or fish. There's it, there's really no way to predict it other than the amount of business you're gonna do. So this system that we built allows people to order ahead of time, which means the restaurant can get a, a little bit more organized for service. They know how many steaks to put in their bin. They know how many chickens to prep and pound. They know how many fish to fillet, right? A lot of, you know, a lot of my stuff's made to order, right? So you can now do it ahead of time. But more importantly, it helps with the staffing issue. So if you can't double the amount of business you can do, you can do the business you used to do with half the staff, both from the end, both front of the house and back of the house, and I didn't know that when I built it. When I built it, I was just doing it for something for me, for the Chateau when we built the technology. 
for um, order ahead for big parties. COVID came. I thought COVID would be over by now, so I never walked, went forward with it. And uh, only because I'm like, ah, COVID changes everything and changes the business. Like, I got to stop investing in this platform. And then when I went to Universal Studio in Disney, during, just after the closing of the, of the economy when it first reopened, you can't order anything in Disney or Universal, anything, without going on the app and pre-ordering it. And I said, I'll be damned. This is my model for independent mom and pops. The difference is Disney has you know tens of millions of dollars to put in a system like that. Right. So we're going to put the money into the system, and then restaurants can subscribe to it, and uh, just like they do, you know, it's the reverse of Uber Eats. Right, it's just right. a lot cheaper for the restaurants, yeah. and it's just something you can scale up. Yeah, it's something that can scale. It helps the industry. Helps them provide jobs, and, and and it goes back to my core competency, which is the internet that I've been in since 1997, and the restaurant business. So and, how- and on top of that, we're, you know, I believe filming and content content marketing i've been a, i've been a proponent of content marketing for 10 years actually used to be a speaking thing i did visiting professionals and colleges about content marketing and foy rush on our social media that's a content marketing solution for our, our restaurants as we roll them out got it so how do, and how does that tie into your the the media things you're doing in the podcast and all that well the podcast i just you know i, I i'm doing a podcast because i, I really believe more and more people need to speak out what's going on politically. Mm-hmm. And I believe our capital system's under attack. So my podcast is Business and Politics. And I think, I believe in 10 years, businesses will, 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 will experience a seismic shift into socialism if more of us don't stand up. And what, if I can impact, you know, 300 college kids today, and that's what I'm trying to speak to, yeah. and 300 independents that can then have a multiplying applying effect. I'll, I'll do it. It's a lot of work. You know what I'll have to tell yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. This is a lot of work. You know, it's a lot of work pre-production and the questions and the post-editing. It's a lot of work, but I, I don't know why I'm doing it, Doc. I mm-hmm. just feel like this is what God wants me to do. Where it leads me, I don't I don't know. Sometimes you just have to do things. Yeah, you know, exactly. So what are the biggest challenges you guys are dealing with right now in the, in, uh, in Jen's project, the, you know, the Chateau? I think the, the biggest challenge that we're having from a business perspective is staffing we're, we're in, in the supply chain. The supply chain is very real to us. Inflation is very real to us. And my food costs, I thought were, I thought were bad last month at 38. This past month, they were at over, my chef called me this morning. He goes, I just want to make sure you get ready. You're over, we're over 40. I mean, doesn't, right? doesn't it scare you? I, I'll figure it out. Bit. You know, Doc, it scares me more. So I have a very strong partner, my wife. Mm-hmm. I have a very committed group of employees. I have a very, very loyal clientele. I have a very wealthy clientele. So I, 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 I think I'm going to get through it. I'm open. I'm opening more restaurants, right? Yeah. So it, 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 no, it, so it doesn't scare me. It, it makes me mad. It pisses me off. Yeah. Because not everyone has the resources that my clients have, i.e., the restaurant around a corner. My brother Jesse, right? Yeah. He, he, he doesn't have customers that can go in there and absorb. He does, but not the majority of them that can absorb a 50% increase for a hamburger. Like, so I, I think my customers understand that whatever I do, it'll be temporary and or it'll be the new world. And my customers don't want to stay home. And yeah. No, I guess when I say scare you, you know, um, it, it concerns me. Because I, I I know we'll be fine, right? It, it it but it does concern me when I see inflation. We've just had a group. Our nurses all approach us. Now we we pride ourselves in taking really good care of people. Our benefit package Amen. is unbelievable, you know. And we meet with them every, and they see everything. But 
you know, people are feeling it. The, the, the middle class is feeling it. You know, couples. That's why it upsets me. That, that's, and I guess that's what I'm saying. You know, it doesn't, it, what concerns me is about where does this go? Where does this go? Because the average person who between the, the two of them, you know, husband, wife, and are making, you know, close to six figures, they can't afford this $10,000 inflation. No. They can't afford that's what's what going on in the pumps. And it, it does, it does, you know, you know, you'll get, don't get me going about, <laughs> about this stuff because I think you and I feel the same way. It makes me nuts. And it, and it does concern me because you can't just, there's, yeah. It, no, the 100% scares the hell out of me for the middle class. Yeah. And I talked to, I talked to my, my, my attorney and I, he's a friend. He was my attorney in business at my old company. Anyhow, he's more on the left than I am. I, I'm very honest about where I stand on the political spectrum. Or I'm not afraid to share it, I should say. And he just said, hey, don't go too right, right for me. I said, listen, can we just like have a conversation in the middle? How do you feel about the middle class? He quote unquote said to me, oh, they're getting screwed. Yeah, right. no, I, I know. And I, and I had, and I had, you know, I'm in a restaurant business. I talk to people, you know that probably too much, right? People are like, can this guy leave? So I can eat my damn food. <laughs> so uh, to, a, to a fault, I talk to people. And I had somebody at the bar in Florida, very nice people. And we got into, and, 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 I, and I said, oh man, how do you like Jersey? And my wife kicked me because I know, you know, I right, you guys right. have a hell of a race up there with uh, Cinderella. Yeah. I said, oh, I'm a, you know, I, I voted for Murphy. I said, oh, yeah, why? He's just curious. Said, I'm a teacher, and he really benefits teachers. Yeah. So it really hit me, you know. There are some people who vote because it only benefits them. And they don't, yeah, they really you know, don't have that instinct for their fellow American. And I don't mean to fault them for that. Hmm. There's just some of us that think about others more than certain people do well you know i i know some people in in business who i can't understand why they're why why they're political they plan stand politically where they do however they're also on the take with government contracts and things so you know it makes you realize that you know may not make good sense but they benefit from being you know politically yes yeah, being one way or the other and i and i, and I think I'm, I'm not a dumb contract business for a reason to add people because they don't know where I stand. I don't care. I don't care financially what happens. I, I care more. In the long run, if America crashes, we're all done. Yeah. Employee, teachers, everyone, right. entrepreneurs. If, if America goes, we all go, right? So even though the leak in the ship isn't on your side of the deck, do you not go bail it out? Because mm. if you don't, the ship's going down. Yeah. Yeah. So what is it, what is it that uh... – what is it that Jen's preoccupied about? What does she think about? Because she, she's, you know, she's got a different different brain than yours. Yeah, I think Jen, you know, Jen wonders why. We, so the expansion of the brand she's on board with, literally, probably, you know, at least fifty fifty of me. Jen's preoccupied with life balance. You know, a, a more personal, right? She's more the the soft touch. And she's just wondering, like, what what are we doing? Like, we're working ninety hours a week for what? Like, why? And you know, she, she's more wor- she's more worried about the fact that we work so much. Yeah, but and I will say you guys are pretty committed, committed, pretty committed friends, and pretty committed, committed uh, family members and, and parents. I watch you guys. I know that your you know, your family means num- is number one to you, just like my family is number one to me. But. Um, you know, as I, as I tell my I kids, ho- hanging out's overrated when you're broke, so you might as well hustle. Right. Right? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I'm doing it. Because, a, I do it for country. You know, well, I, I, I just want to contribute to the country. I, I'm motivated to expand in Florida because of DeSantis. 
And I just want my kids to see. I, my father taught, my father had a very rough business go. It's no secret. It's public information. Yeah, I've he talked to your dad. Yeah. Right? He lost everything he had. And I witnessed my father and my mother battle out of it. They battled out of it. And so that's where I get it from. Like, there's no quitting, no matter how hard it is. You pay the bills, you provide for your family, and you try to make as much time for each other as you possibly can. You, just, you, you support your community, you pay, you know, and, 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 you, and you pay your taxes if, if you can make money. So I want to show my kids the same role. I just, I, I'm worried about the country, I'm worried about the youth, and I'm afraid there's not enough role models. And if I could be a role model to my kids, it's another generation. I did, my parents did their job with me. Obviously, their parents did their job with them. I have to do my job with my kids, and hopefully they do it with theirs. We yeah. just keep it going. Yeah, well, you know how I feel. I feel the same I way. That makes sense. I said, uh, <laughs> my son, so my, fun's, my son's got, you know, he's got this beautiful old truck, right? And uh, he, he tells me the other day, he goes to school, he goes to CBA, he says... Uh, oh, yeah, his Ram, his Dodge Ram. Yeah, so he gets it, yeah, I think he's 20 years old, and diesel, you know, whatever. So he, he backs in, he hangs out with all these, you know, all these little redneck buddies. And I said, I said, well, why do you get to school so early? He goes, we, we, he goes, Dad, we get there and we watch all the overprivileged com- kids come in and we, you know, kind of snicker and laugh. I said, I said to him, Ed, I just want you to know, I, I, you're not exactly underprivileged, you know. <laughs> but you know, I appreciate the fact that he, uh, you know, uh, has a beat up old truck and that he. No, but he definitely has a. He's definitely got a work ethic of an underprivileged young man. I, I could attest to that because he's been working for me since he was 12 years well, old. Well, I, I guess my point for saying is I think you've done a pretty good job of, you know, teaching your kids work ethic and, and you know, what what's important. Um, what, you know, I'm going to wrap up here just because we're, we're kind of running out of time. What, you know, what kind of words of wisdom would you give? Because there are a lot of people that listen to this that are, you know, trying to figure their way, you know, leave a situation, go out on their own. Um, and it's scary. I mean, you've you've done it many times, taking on new things. What kind of words of wisdom can you give somebody who's uh, you know trying to, you know, doctors? By the way, they they tend to they tend to be very risk averse. You know, you would think. Yeah, yeah, I'm fascinated with the the profession of of, of medical, and I'd love to have you on my podcast, the Buddy Ford Junior Show. I'll be there. And I tell you, I. Because I have I a whole, I have an opinion it. on a lot of things that are going on in the healthcare system, but that's that's a, that's a, that'll be another podcast. Yeah, I mean, I just can't. I just never realized how entrepreneurial you were, and, and and another doctor friend of mine down here in Florida. I just never understood the business part of medicine until I met you, you and and, and a, a doctor down here. And I'm fascinated by the parallels. Well, you know, I think that you know one of the things that I always tell people, um, you know, you take the Hippocratic oath, which means to me, um, you know, you never, never, ever do anything that's you know you. You have your, you hold yourself to the highest level. You never compromise your integrity. You know all that other stuff. I mean, I think if there's a place to burn in hell, it's it's taking taking advantage of someone to, who trusts you, right? So, yeah. so, so, and I do think, but I do believe you can be a really good surgeon, or, and more importantly, a really good doctor, because you know, really taking good care of people. But you can you can still do that and be a business person. Um, you know, just I think you got to be one of the best in the business. In that regard. Well, I, I listen. We all try. You know what I mean. There's, there's always other people. But I, I, I really. But I always take offense to people who feel like you can't be a good business person, um, and a doctor, and a good doctor. And so I pride myself on trying to do both. Um, and part Love of it. Is I'm always, always learning and always trying to get better. But so look, buddy. I, uh, I, I don't want to take any more of your time. I, I really appreciate you sharing, uh, sharing. You know your story. 
with us. And, um, you know, I, I value the friendship always. And looking forward to making a trip down there and maybe see you in a few weeks. Yeah, I appreciate the support you all gave us when we first opened. You and the whole crew, Marines, came down here. I really appreciate it. You know what I've, I've learned, buddy? I actually learned this from Bob. I've, you know, I've known Bob for more than four or five years now. But, you know, um, I'm life is too short, and you guys are good people, and I like hanging out with good people. You know, Bob, Bob and Bob, you know, as you know, Bob is a very generous guy, and he's, and he's oh, and very he's, generous, and he's and he's good people, and um, you know, that's that's to me, you know, he said to me once, he said, Ed, we have to support our people, you know, people that are like us, and no, he's uh, definitely a patriot. I'm just, uh, a patriot. yeah, and I'm not, you know, I'm not going to hang around people that don't uh, feel the same way I do, and amen, right. Amen. Amen, brother. I'm with right. you. Life is too short and what's going on today, it's nonsense. All right. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate I appreciate you. I appreciate yeah. you doing this podcast, taking your time for it. Thank you for having me on. All right, buddy. Thanks so much. And you, you let me know. You you got my cell. Just text me and I'll, I'm, I'd love to join you. Excellent. Love it. All right, buddy. Thanks. See you. Have a good night. I'll show you my cell. Right. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.